Welcome to The Great American Shit Show, and I'm your host, Stephen Vargas. This is where we take a look at the political culture war cancer culture of a society that has lost the concept of irony and nuance. Welcome back, podcast listener. Hope you enjoyed the first part of this series, and I want to remind all of you that if you would like to help keep this party going, we can use your help. We're set up to take one-time donations through Venmo, PayPal, and even Cash App. Any donations will get a shout-out on the show. And with that being said, I'd like to thank Groomaster. It's a very unfortunate name, but I understand where the name comes from. Groom as in up a, as a c- upcoming groom, you know, bridegroom kind of thing for donating to allow me to get a self-hosted site for the blog. You're the man. So check out the blog, thegenxerpod.com, and there you can catch all the show notes for these episodes and my other podcast, The Gen Xer Pod, as well as reviews of content I'm viewing, as well as other musings that I post. So with all that being said, let's get this going. In our last episode, we discussed the foundation of what would be the party's platform by the late 70s and early 80s. All of this was led by a former Republican governor, Ronald Reagan. A former Democrat turned congressional stooge during the Hollywood blacklist, Reagan was a profound student of Barry Goldwater. And in fact, he endorsed him in 1964. Now, while Goldwater's popularity was somewhat controversial through the rank-and-file Republicans, Reagan believed that it could work, just presented in a better manner, much like what Ron DeSantis was tapped for when he thought he could run for president, Trump light, if you will. Fortunately for Reagan, the country was in dire straits. The country was in a recession, gas prices were at an all-time high, even embargoed, The country was in the shadow of Richard Nixon's Watergate scandal. International terrorism was on the rise. Muslim extremists killed members of the Israeli Olympic team in 1972. And the American embassy in Iran was taken over and hostages were held until Reagan's inauguration in 1981. Americans believed in a fresh-faced actor turned politician. Someone that had charisma and charm, or riz as the kids say able to make self-deprecating jokes and gave America hope for the future. It was expected that Democratic President Jimmy Carter would lose, but there was no idea how badly he would lose. Now, so many people would like to look at his works in office to describe just how much he influenced the GOP in years to come. Unfortunately, the current majority of the party bears no resemblance to the party of the late 20th century. His actions during his tenure came in the later years of his second term. The one thing that is often overlooked in history is the rally point of the modern-day conservative movement. This action gave rise to people like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, and we're not even talking about Fox News or Newsmax. Before those channels existed, there was talk radio. Before podcasts became a thing in 2007 and mobile devices would be able to download new episodes from their favorite host, you had to resort to AM radio to listen to political talk during what was called, quote-unquote, drive-time radio. 
And while some people would listen to Howard Stern or Don Imus, older adults would listen to political pundits on the radio to get their commentary on the political landscape. There are a few of those stations still around, and many of them are conservative. The others are full of sports news stations. But there's one problem that many of these radio DJs had at the time if they discussed someone. They had to, by law, give the subject time to defend themselves. And Reagan's one action lit the fuse and gave unbridled power to conservative news radio, which many of these personalities rose to prominence and became nighttime hosts on various cable news channels, as well as people like Alex Jones. Welcome to this week's episode, The Modern GOP, The Building Blocks. There's a generation that hasn't known a time without Fox News. Oddly enough, there's also a generation that has no idea who Rush Limbaugh is or how you could even listen to him. Some have suggested, and rightly so, that if Rush or Fox News had been around in the early 70s, Richard Nixon would have never resigned. Now, there are many hypotheticals about that, too many alternate realities to discuss, and I don't, I don't want to go down one of those many rabbit holes that I fell through on my own just thinking about that when I'm alone in the dark and the power's out. Now, we don't have time to unpack all that. That would be its own series. So let's pick up where we left off last time. Barry Goldwater shellacking at the hands of Lyndon Johnson took the Republican Party down a road they hadn't intended. They needed to rebuild the party. We can kind of gloss over the next several years to get to where we need to be. In 68, Johnson decided that he wasn't going to run for a second term as president. Richard Nixon decided to take on uh, the Democratic candidate, Hubert Humphrey, who was considered a Johnson lackey. The Vietnam War was in full effect. Crime was on the rise. Many in America didn't like the rise of the counterculture. Protests to end the war were on the nightly news, as was images of the war. Nixon ran on the law and order ticket and won the presidency. But due to Watergate, Nixon resigned and Gerald Ford took over the office. He had a bad time handling a recession and flip-flopped a lot. He lost re-election to former Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter in 1976. Carter had an even worse time than Ford, losing re-election to former California Governor Ronald Reagan in 1980. With hostages being held in Iran, high unemployment, and gas lines, Carter never stood a chance. Ronald Reagan himself was a neocon, a neoconservative, a chip off the old block of Barry Goldwater. In fact, back in 1964, Reagan had endorsed Goldwater in a television televised endorsement. I asked to speak to you because I'm mad. I've known Barry Goldwater for a long time. When I hear people say he's impulsive and such nonsense, I boil over. Believe me, if it weren't for Barry keeping those boys in Washington on their toes, do you honestly think our national defense would be as strong as it is? And remember, when Barry talks about the way to keep the peace, when he says that only the strong can remain free, he knows what he's talking about. And I know the wonderful Goldwater family. Do you honestly believe that Barry wants his sons and daughters involved in a war? Do you think he wants his wife to be a wartime mother? Of course not. So join me, won't you? Let's get a real leader and not a power politician in the White House. Vote for Barry Goldwater. Now jump to 1987. We're one year away before the 1988 election and the end of Reagan's second term. 
On August 4, 1987, before my freshman year of high school, Reagan appointed FCC Chairman Dennis R. Patrick to spearhead a 4 to nothing vote to abolish something many people didn't know called the Fairness Doctrine. So what is the Fairness Doctrine? The Federal Com Communication Commission, also known as the FCC, had been tasked with issuing broadcast licenses to radio and television stations that operate in the, quote, public interest, convenience, and necessity. In 1949, the FCC issued a report that established the duty of broadcast licensees to cover controversial issues in a fair and balanced manner. That report became the Fairness Doctrine. It was a result of how the media was used for propaganda purposes during World War II. Its basic requirement were that broadcasters, quote, devote a reasonable portion of broadcast time to a discussion and consideration of controversial issues for public importance, of public importance, and affirmatively endeavor to make facilities available for the expression of contrasting viewpoints held by responsible elements with respect to the controversial issues. And that was per the report by the Congressional Research Service. In practice, it would require broadcasters to identify issues of public importance, decide to cover those issues, and then afford the best representatives of the opposing views on the issue the opportunity to present their case to the community, the report explains. But it also required broadcasters to allow individuals who were subject of editorials or personal attacks to be granted an opportunity to respond and establish that candidates of, for public office are entitled to equal airtime. And that was the becoming a rallying cry for many in the conservative corners. Conservatives wanted to do away with the Fairness Doctrine as they believed conservative viewpoints were being censored by the liberal media. See that thread there again. The first instance of cancel culture by conservatives. Now, this meant that anyone that was attacked or false accusations were made they had to give them equal time to address those accusations. Now, you can see the effect on the media today. Tribute Broadcasting, that was a heavy Trump backer, would run ads on their airwaves by their local television anchors to discuss fake news. You can also hear it in their continued rhetoric to galvanize the base to stymie any attempt to revive it, calling it government overreach. Are there any other questions, Senator Hutchinson? I do. Uh, I wanted to ask one last question. Uh, we talked in my office about the so-called fairness doctrine. And um, as I understood it, you said that you did not support reviving it uh, or uh, policies like it directly or indirectly through localism and that sort of thing. And I just wanted to have for the record that, that I am correct in uh, stating your position or if you would like to restate it. No, Senator, I, I don't support reinstatement of the Fairness Doctrine. I uh, uh, believe strongly in the First Amendment. I don't think the FCC should be involved in censorship of content based on political speech or opinion. And the Fairness Doctrine. Senator Trent Lott last week said that talk shows are a problem and something needs to be done about them. And some senators are now talking about reviving the so-called Fairness Doctrine. And the Fairness Doctrine is where the federal government mandates speech on talk shows, private radio broadcasts. It's really important that Congress stay away from the Fairness Doctrine and scrap it because the free market of ideas is working and the federal government needs to stay out of talk shows. The crux of the issue was the First Amendment, which is something they love throwing around. Not that many 
truly understand it. But the conservative viewpoint is that radio and television stations are private property. You lost yet? Well, let me explain. If someone buys a radio station, they own the building and the land it's on. Ergo, they can say whatever they want since they own the property, which is a very broad and loose interpretation of free speech. Unfortunately for anyone that plays a radio stereo, a loud stereo system too loud, they can be hit with those noise complaints. The other problem is that the FCC governs the airwaves. No one without a license from the FCC can start a radio station. And for those of you old enough, remember pirate radio stations? Yeah, you could broadcast without a license and you were shut down by the full force of the government. The debate over the requirement peaked in the mid-80s. Reagan appointed Patrick, who had worked on Reagan's 76 and 80 presidential campaigns, to find a way to abolish it. The FCC wrote a vote was opposed by members of Congress who said that the FCC had tried to flout the will of Congress and the decision was wrongheaded, misguided, and illogical. The decision drew political fire and cooperation with Congress was one issue. In June 1987, Congress attempted to preempt the FCC decision to codify the Fairness Doctrine, but the legislation was vetoed by President Reagan. There was worry that with the removal of the Fairness Doctrine, some television media wouldn't be so worried about offering a fair and balanced news. Here is the head of NBC News offering some insight as to what could happen if they repealed it. Uh, I think that the Fairness Doctrine articulates what we as broadcasters must do in order to hold a license. And that the basic issue is that we must be fair, that we must provide a forum. We are not a newspaper. We are not a magazine. We are a spectrum space allocated by the federal government. In exchange for that, I don't think that we as broadcasters have the right to go on and express our own views are the views of an individual party, our individual organization, individual special interest group, without providing the opportunity for others to have that same uh, right on the air. Now, there is a misconception on the left that reinstating the Fairness Doctrine would allow FCC to regulate and punish channels like Fox News or One America News. Unfortunately, the Fairness Doctrine is designed to only regulate broadcast radio and television. Cable isn't regulated with the same doctrine simply because, and this is true, you pay for cable, even though cable companies bundle channels together that you don't even want. So some of you are probably wondering what the fairness doctrine has to do with the riots at the Capitol. Only the constraints of the doctrine was were removed. Talk radio was allowed to do and say whatever they wanted with no constraints. Things are sounding a lot better for the 8,900 radio stations across the country. Less government hassle and red tape is a song they were playing this week as the FCC made some major changes in how radio stations are run. There are no longer limits on the number of commercials a station may play, and the restrictions were lifted from news and public service programming. The free market will now determine what a station plays. Will it make a difference in the sound of local radio? Overall, there will be some changes that will not be uh, negative at all. I think that uh, it's going to be a very positive move. Broadcasters, as a, as a general rule, are very responsible people. Most of them are uh, local citizens and uh, of a high caliber, and they, they have no intention of uh, uh, doing anything that uh, is going to shortchange the public. The repeal of the Fairness Doctrine was considered a saving grace for news radio, 
One such conservative that found this as his shining moment was Rush Limbaugh. We make the complex understandable, and we do it in a way that makes you love your country, not hate it. This college dropout started in radio, being a traditional DJ using names like Rusty Sharp or Jeff Christie. He was fired from all the radio stations he worked for. He eventually moved to Sacramento, California, and tried his hand at being a shock jock for conservative news with his own show on KFBK, The Rush Limbaugh Show. By August of 1988, his show went national and was broadcast through 56 stations. However, in 1987, after the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine, he could say whatever opinion he had without recourse. Unlike many other conservative radio personalities, he would broadcast for three hours during the day without the help of guests. He told the New York Times, I wanted to be the reason people listened. And that's how you pad your pocket. That's how you establish yourself. This, this is something the Fairness Doctrine was designed to control. Under the Doctrine, he would have to have guests from either side and essentially debate the issues in a fair and balanced manner. However, without it, he could make the show about himself and only have himself to talk to. I believe you're starting to see where I'm going with this. Freedom is killed off by people claiming that the greater good or the general will or the betterment of the community requires speech patrol. By 1990, he had about 3 million listeners. This was establishing him as a major force on the right, bringing devoted listeners and saying things that many on the far right believed was true. And he would say outrageous things in the same vein as Howard Stern or Don Imus. Steinbrenner has passed away at age 80. That cracker made a lot of African-American millionaires. Many of his listeners considered him a person that isn't afraid to say what he felt. It's pretty obvious that many of his listeners thought the same things he said, and he even agreed with him, but they had to keep their mouth closed. During his radio show, he said some vile and racist things, to which many of his listeners found funny. And after his death, you would see many of his fans claim that he was a decent man and was never racist. He was always funny to me. That says more about the person who believes believes that than Rush himself. In one instance, he had to say he had this to say when a college student, Susan Fluke, testified before Congress on why health coverage should include birth control medication for women. What does it say about the college co-ed Susan Fluke, who goes before a congressional committee and essentially says that she must be paid to have sex? What does that make her? It makes her a slut, right? Makes her a prostitute. She wants to be paid to have sex. Ms. Fluke, and the rest of you feminazis, here's the deal. If we are going to pay for your contraceptives and thus pay for you to have sex, we want something for it. And I'll tell you what it is. We want you to post the videos online so we can all watch. At another time, he said, look, let me put it to you this way. The NFL all too often looks like a game between the Bloods and the Crips without any weapons. There, I said it. And he had this to say about two female Supreme Court justices' qualifications, or in his opinion, lack thereof. Yeah, you know, Rush, this thing about life experiences, it seems that this administration is putting life experiences over 
qualifications. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, of course. Wait, wait a second now. I'm not, don't, Bob, I'm not getting impatient with you, but of course, because Sotomayor is not qualified. Kagan is not qualified. The whole point of talking about life experience is who we're talking about here. Sotomayor and Kagan, what are they? They're women. That means they're victims. That means they're minorities. That means they've been discriminated against. That means we owe them. Exactly. We owe them their life experiences. They've had it tough. They've had it so tough because they've been women in America. And they've been Hispanic women in America. And they've had to play softball as women in America. And it's really that a deck has been stacked against them. And because they've had to go through life eating excrement sandwiches every day because of Ronald Reagan and George Bush and Rush Limbaugh, they're owed a seat on the Supreme Court. Doesn't matter if they couldn't spell cat if you spotted them to see in the he said at another time, the NAACP should have riot rehearsal. They should get a liquor store and practice robberies. Of course, there was this in reaction to Obama wanting to pay minority farmers who had been unfairly treated compared to white farmers. All right, here's this, uh, this lawsuit in a nutshell. Obama has offered black farmers a $1.25 billion class action award to settle claims of discrimination. It started after Reagan closed the USDA's civil rights office in, uh, in 1981. Uh, and he's offering women, Latino farmers, a similar settlement of $1.3 billion for the same thing. Uh, th th this, th th folks, this is just reparations you know, under a different name. That's uh, all this is. In 1992, then-former President Ronald Reagan wrote him to declare him, quote, the number one voice for conservatism in our country. As his dominance grew, he was the kingmaker of the Republican Party. His views of conservative values led to the hard right. He started calling Democrats crazy left and socialists. It was noted that people who listened to his show for 10 hours or more would be more inclined to vote Republican in the next election. After the election of Bill Clinton, Limbaugh made it his personal mission to point out his impact towards Republicans. Newt Gingrich himself gave a lot of credit to Limbaugh for Republicans taking control of the House in 1994, which was the first time in four decades. Limbaugh considered himself first and foremost a businessman. In 2001, his radio show was syndicated to almost 600 stations by Premier Radio Networks in a nine-year deal that earned him about $200 million. Limbaugh wasn't without his issues, aside from the racism. He had checked himself into rehab to deal with the addiction to prescription pain medication that was after resigning in 2003 from ESPN for making racist comments about then-Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Donovan McNabb. I'm sorry to say this. I don't think he's been that good from the get-go. I think what we've had here is a little social concern in the NFL. I think the media has been very desirous that a black quarterback do well. He took five weeks off of his show. He never suffered any real repercussions from his drug use, even though he was investigated for doctor shopping, which is when a person goes to different doctors to get the same prescription multiple times. Plus, he had spoken on air about drug users needing to be punished, especially white drug users. In 2005, Limbaugh started seeding the mind of conservatives, which would lead to what became the Tea Party revolt. After some Republicans voted against oil drilling in the Arctic, he said on air, quote, There's no such thing as a moderate. A moderate is just a liberal disguise, and they are doing everything they can to derail the, the conservative agenda, end quote. Sounds like something Goldwater would have said. 
As his popularity grew, he began supporting QAnon theories, not directly, but saying that there were possible voter fraud and the election machines were talked about extensively on his show, being a science denier, saying secondhand smoke wasn't dangerous and it was all a myth. He even perpetuated the birtherism theory. In 2016, he neither attacked Trump, like many in the conservative media did, but he didn't support him either. And this cost him dearly when Sean Hannity became the important radio host in America. However, once he was elected, Limbaugh was all in on Trump. We are all in for President Trump because he is all in for us. As the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine illustrated, it propelled the far-right conservative movement into high gear. Conservative radio programming grew at an exponential rate, giving the far-right conservative wing of the party a mouthpiece. Now, there's also that myth that conservatives are fighting being silenced. The liberal media is trying to silence them. And that is something Barry Goldwater charged in 1964, and it's something the right is using uh, used to get rid of the Fairness Doctrine, and they're still using it today, saying that they are on the cusp of being silenced. Yet Fox News and One America News Network, Newsmax, and other right-wing news networks flourish. Go to any podcast app and see right-wing media flourishing in the top charts. With the strength of right-wing media, they circled their wagons around President Trump and kept a majority of the party behind him during impeachment, both times. Now I ask you, if all these mouthpieces were around during Watergate, would Nixon have resigned? Thanks for tuning in. If you like what I'm doing here, you have two ways to help out. One, you can make a one-time donation to make this show self-sustaining through either PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. Check the show notes for details and or links. Or two, you can share us on social media or review us on Apple Podcasts. This will make the algorithm gods promote our show to an unsuspecting public. And you can stalk me on Facebook, facebook.com slash thegenxerpod, Instagram, threads, and TikTok at thegen underscore xer. And if you're old school, email me, mailbag at thegenxerpod.com. And want to read some news, blogs, or just some of my random musings? Check out the blog at thegenxerpod.com. So that is it for me this week. So until next time, if your society has lost the art of irony and nuance, then you need to thank The Great American Shit Show. Oh, 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 oh.